Something is going on. Something's going on right now as I sit here and speak to you. All across the marketplace, you can see that something is afoot here. Now, it's easy to take all of these signals and look at them in isolation and therefore dismiss them, ignore them, or maybe even excuse the more uncomfortable interpretations that they seem to suggest. For example, last week, the WTI futures curve went into contango for the first time in quite a while. Now, it was easy to just say, no, that meant nothing because the December 22 contract was coming off the board. Therefore, there were technical issues involved, lack of liquidity in that particular maturity, as well as you know, relationship to the January contract that was taking over. So maybe that little bit of front contango, and it was only front contango anyway, maybe that didn't really matter. And of course, we get to Monday, the con December 23 contract goes off the board, contango seems to go away, Maybe we're all back to normal. But then today, it's not just Contango back. Contango is back with a vengeance, except this time we can't dismiss it or excuse it as nothing more than the quirk of the technical role. The January 2023 contract is below not just the February, therefore the one-month negative spread Contango. It's also below the crucial three-month calendar spread, which means Contango out to February, March, April. The April contract is right now intraday trading above the front month, which is now January. So contango, not technical, that seems to be potentially something. But that's not the only thing. While we might excuse that as technical stuff last week, it's not as if the WTI futures curve is the only warning sign we're seeing for markets. So they're all over the place. For example, the treasury curve. The treasury curve is massively inverted right now as we speak and getting more so by the day. The 52-week or the, the you know, one-year treasury bill spread to the 10-year uh, U.S. Treasury note as I'm talking to you, 101 basis points inverted. From the three-month to the 10-year, it's 57 basis points inverted. These are things that we haven't seen in a very, very long time. Eurodollar futures. The Eurodollar futures is still positively sloped up until March and June. It's moving in and out flat there. But from June on backwards, the curve is inverted by an incredible 191 basis points. Germany, the German curve, which I point to time and time again, don't sleep on Germany. Germany is not supposed to be interesting. But here we have today where the entire curve is basically inverted now. The two-year, according to the Bundesbank, is at 208. The one, the five-year is at 196. The 10-year is at 202. And the third is 191. Something is going on, and these markets are telling you. Swap spreads. Let's throw another one in. Another one that I look at that people maybe don't look at seriously or don't take enough of a serious look at. The 10-year swap spread has turned negative. And it has not just turned negative in a day or two as it had in, in early November. It's been negative for 10 days in a row. And yesterday it was at minus four basis points. There is something going on in the marketplace. And I think we know, all, I think we all pretty much know what it is. It might be that the global recession is finally happening. Now we got a bunch of data today, which more and more confirms that viewpoint. We'll focus on the United States. We'll focus on the interpretations of these curves in just a moment. But first, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you for joining me. If you're interested in exclusive member video content where we get into the background behind all this money and macro stuff, 
Eurodollar University memberships at eurodollar.university. We also offer research subscriptions, which you can get. Uh, there's a pre-Black Friday sale going on at Markets Insider Pro, where you get my daily briefing along with Stephen Van Meter's Momentum Timer Pro, Tracy Schuchart's um, uh, Oil and Gas Material Weekly reports, all together in a bundle. And if you buy that, you can also save extra on another of the Eurodollar University subscription, what I call the deep dive analysis, where we get into the really nitty gritty behind the scene, or not behind the scenes, behind the stuff that we talk about in these videos here. So all of that information, Eurodollar.university, sales, good stuff available there. So markets are changing. There's a warning that something is going on here. And we've seen this before, back in the middle of, well, first March and then really into June, where we saw maybe the macro implications of everything that happened in March. These things happen with a lag. We had a deflationary outbreak at the end of September, a really nasty one too. So it's also possible we're seeing the, the uh, implications and consequences of what's going on in the monetary system at the end of September into early October. We've also had any number of global uh, events, number of global negative headwinds, as economists call them, including stubborn energy prices, though energy prices are coming down. So let's talk about what that means. What do these curve warnings actually mean in their most fundamental sense? Well, for, for example, contango, contango simply means that the market wants to incentivize storage, which is the opposite of what you would think would be happening right now, because right now supplies are limited, constrained, and getting more limited and constrained all the time, as well as inventories. Inventories are at low levels in certain parts of the global system, as well as certain, uh, certain forms of energy. There is no inventory. It's at record lows. Diesel in the U.S. and some storage stuff in Europe, although natural gas has come back a little bit. But by and large, what we see is not the kind of conditions that you would associate with contango in the WTI futures curve. Quite the opposite. We should have backwardation. Backwardation is where the futures curve rewards current use. The futures price is lower than the current spot price or the near-term month prices because the market wants all available uh, use, uh, usable product to be used in the marketplace. And when the curve flips into contango, where the prices start to go higher from the front months, as they are right now by a few pennies, but still, what that does is that gives the market somewhat of a financial incentive to start thinking about storing oil. Because storing oil requires some costs. It requires some financing costs, storage costs, shipping costs, transportation fees, all sorts of stuff. So if the WTI futures curve becomes contango, there's a financial incentive to do storage. And those two things, they don't seem to be going together with the at least what we're all told about the oil markets right now, right? Because the oil market is supposed to be com completely dry, dearth of supply. And here we have this key, crucial US, really global benchmark that is saying, that is incentivizing or beginning to incentivize actual storage. Something is going on with demand where the market is looking ahead and saying demand is probably going to fall off to the point that we're going to need to start storing oil, even though the supplies are constrained as, as much as they are. Inversions in the treasury curve or euro dollar futures curve. First thing you got to remember 
don't take these literally, and particularly euro dollar futures. Euro dollar futures are not a prediction of where rates are. It's a probability distribution, or not a, pro not a prediction of where rates are going to be, but a probability distribution of likely potential outcomes and a whole range of outcomes. So the euro dollar futures curve right now is not saying that in June of next year, that is when LIBOR, three month LIBOR will be four and whatever, uh, four and a quarter percent of whatever the futures contract looks out to be. And then two years later, three month LIBOR is going to be 191 basis points lower. That's not what the curve is saying. The curve is saying in all probability, there'll be more rate hikes in the near term that will turn they will eventually stop and then turn into rate cuts at some point. And with it being 191 basis points inverted, again, wider range of probabilities. Most of those probabilities are focused on the downside, which suggests to me, I interpret this curve, that's zero interest rates and more QEs in the future. That's how massively inverted it is. We don't take these curves literally. What they're saying is there are high, high probability that rates are going down at some point in the near term future. And so we always have to ask the question, what is it that would cause rates to go down? Especially considering how everybody at the FOMC, especially last week, so incredibly hawkish, so incredibly focused on Inflation, consumer prices, the CPI, we're not going to, we're going to keep hiking rates until we see the CPI go down and stay down. That's what they keep saying. And the more they say that, the more the markets say, we don't agree with you. We think that you're going to hike rates for a little bit, but then the rates are going to start coming. So what is going to make the Federal Reserve stop hiking rates and then do something they absolutely do not want to do? Think about what uh, James Bullard said last week invoking the Taylor rule, that rates have to go up to 7%, maybe even higher. Market is vehemently disagreeing. But why? Well, as I mentioned before, there was all sorts of deflationary stuff. Monetary, a global dollar crisis would certainly get the Fed out of, the, uh, out of its rate hikes, most likely get them out of the rate hikes, as would a nasty global recession, which hits the U.S. economy particularly hard. So we have both of those possibilities and it's, you know, those two things end up really going together. You see nasty monetary conditions lead to nastier economic conditions. Those two things go hand in hand. So it's not like it's either or here. And we did have some macroeconomic data today that is pointing in the direction, if we want to focus strictly on the macro stuff, looking like recession is not just a possibility here, but also maybe even a very good possibility with the downside starting to drift more and more toward the nastier stuff. So what we got today was PMIs from S&P Global, formerly IHS Market, uh, for the United States manufacturing sector was supposed to be a little bit higher. Uh, the, the PMI in October had been 50.1, I believe, um, and expectations where it would be right around the same area. So consistent with the prior narrative that the economy isn't so bad. It's slowing down a little bit, as Jay Powell says. No big deal. If anything, we want the economy to slow down, to become more normal, so we have less consumer price pressures, at least according to economists in the Federal Reserve. Meanwhile, the markets are saying, well, yeah, the, the economy's slowing down, but it's not going to, the slowdown is not going to slow down. The slowdown is not going to stop. It's going to continue on past slowdown into downturn, into 
net recession and maybe even into severe recession. So rather than stick at 50 or around 50, S&P Global's PMI said 47.6 for U.S. manufacturing. So a substantial drop there. Uh, more concerning is services. Services has gone lower than manufacturing. As I mentioned with Steve Van Meter in our weekly recap earlier this year, we talked about you know, what, which, what are the implications of the services sector being potentially weaker than manufacturing already at this early stage in what looks to be the downturn of the business cycle? S&P confirms services, uh, services number at 46.1. 46.1, you've only seen that in 2020 or 2008 and 2009. That's nothing, it's worse than any other, uh, any number by far in between, outside of those periods which means the composite for S&P Global, the U.S. composite of 46.3, when you look at the, the S&P Global's composite index, it does have a very good correlation with U.S. GDP, real GDP, which suggests an economy contracting at about a 2% rate. And the correlation hasn't been perfect over the last year uh, with the technical recession, quote unquote, the first half of the year, the big inventory-led spike at the end of last year. But so far or throughout time, you see that the S&P Global's uh, PMI, composite PMI does correspond pretty well with real GDP, which suggests that for the third time potentially in the last third quarter of the, la of the four quarters this year, maybe negative GDP. But listen to what S&P Global said about all these PMI readings coming in. Demand conditions worsened as the fourth quarter progressed with new orders across the private sector falling in November at the fastest pace since the initial pandemic wave in May 2020. And with the exception of the early stages of the pandemic, the decrease in total new sales was the sharpest since 2009. Remember how I started this video. Something is going on right now. They're talking about new orders in both services as well as manufacturing. This is not just a U.S. problem. This is a overseas problem as the European PMIs and some of the other PMIs around the world, as well as going back to S&P Global's uh, press release here, the pace of decline in new export orders, so exports outside the United States, also gathered momentum with manufacturing weakness being met by a dwindling service sector performance in external markets global recession and it might be happening right now we're seeing export sales these companies are telling s p global not just s p global we've talked about the federal reserve regional manufacturing and services surveys which which course which uh, which corroborate what we're seeing here it's a material downturn or deterioration in the economic situation in the U.S. and outside the U.S. that corresponds with what we're seeing in deterioration across markets. Now, I do, I do want to mention this one last point because it's somewhat positive in how they try to spin it as something positive before admitting it's a negative. So again, as I said in the beginning of the video, it's easy to look at these things in isolation and excuse them or explain them away as something that they're not. Here's S&P Global one more time. Nonetheless, there were positive developments in November, as firms signaled the first improvement in supplier performance since October 2019. Sounds great, huh? Faster lead times were, however, 
often linked to reduced demand for inputs. So if you want to look at these things positively, you're certainly free to do so, but look at these things all together as a comprehensive, in the context, markets telling you ahead of time what they're saying and what they're thinking. The sentiment data then comes along and either corroborates it or denies it. And ever since markets have inverted, warning signs going back to last year, more and more the data suggests that the markets are correct. And if we're seeing deterioration in the sentiment as we've seen S&P Global's data, as well as these curve inversions can tangle all these other things, it starts to make a more than compelling case for not just a downside, but a serious downside. One last piece of US data information that we got today, which I think, again, consistent with what we're seeing here, as well as when you look at it in isolation, you can say, well, this is no big deal. It's not, that's nothing. And that is jobless claims and unemployment insurance in the United States. Um, the jobless claims data rose pretty sharply to 240,000, which is the highest since early August. Remember jobless claims had ticked up from March until August and then they fell a little bit into September. Well, they've been rising again. But you look at that 240,000 number and say, that's historically very low. At, at one point, 240,000 would have been incredibly low. So what do we care about 240,000 in jobless claims? Because that's nothing. That, that doesn't seem to look like recession, let alone nasty. Um, even the, uh, the, the four-week average of 226.75, that's not very big either. Continuing claims at 1.551 million, that's the highest since earlier this year. But again, historically speaking, usually continuing claims are up around 2 million. So you look at jobless claims and think, what's the big deal here? These are nothing. But the, what they suggest, however, is that companies are making adjustments to their labor force. We don't look at them as historically low. We look at them as coming off historically low, historic lows and starting to move higher. And it's higher consistent with all sorts of stories and news press releases that we've seen recently, especially related to the tech industry, service providers. Now here's a, here's a quote from an article just recently talking about it, again, in the context of this overall discussion. The sky is not falling from the tech industry. Thousands of layoffs in the past two months represent a small fraction of the tech sector's growth over the past two decades. But cutbacks and hiring freezes are suddenly transforming the job market into a condition that some in the industry haven't experienced in their careers. In other words, something is going on, something substantial we've not seen before in this industry. Now, it's easy to suggest that this is no big deal, just a couple thousand, a couple 10,000, maybe 100,000 layoffs, but that's where we put this into the context of everything else. As I said from the very beginning, markets are suggesting something is going on right now. So these layoffs are not the layoffs, they are likely just the start of the more rapid transformation as the economy rolls over from expansion into contraction. And where markets are pricing everything right now is not going to stop with just contraction, or it's not likely to stop with contraction. It looks like it's getting worse, and it's getting worse right now as we speak. So buckle up, stay tuned. Thank you for watching.
I'm Jeff, this is Eurodollar University. As always, an enormous thank you to all the Eurodollar University members, as well as our research subscribers. And is, since today is Wednesday, November 23rd, I also wanna wish a very happy Thanksgiving to all of the US viewers of this channel, as well as a happy Thanksgiving even if you don't celebrate Thanksgiving or if you're outside the United States, happy belated Thanksgiving to all our Canadian viewers. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody else. Uh, I know it's easy to get caught up in the doom and gloom of all these things, pessimism and whatnot. So Thanksgiving this year, I think certainly for me and my family takes on a, a little bit of added importance to remember and reflect upon the positive things that you have in your life, despite everything else that's going on. So happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Th happy, happy new year. Um, Happy New Year. Thank you to all of our Eurodollar University members and subscribers. Until next time, take care.